Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Namaste, yogis. This is Andrew Seeley here to welcome you to the Yoga Revealed podcast. Have you ever thought about the many paths of yoga that reach to enlightenment? In this exciting episode, we have the privilege of hearing from acclaimed yoga philosophy teacher, Sarah Ivanhoe. We go deep into the details of Sarah's journey from practicing yoga to cure sleep deprivation to teaching yoga philosophy at Loyola Marymount University's master program. I've had the pleasure of knowing Sarah since my yoga teacher training back in 2011 and am so excited to share her wisdom with you all today. I feel like it's up to us as yogis to find the yoga in each person. So for instance, if you're a study, like how can you say that somebody that created Facebook, how can you say that they aren't totally channeling the union of the planet? What has brought union of the planet more than that? This guy's probably not doing asana, you know what I mean? But he's creating a yoking, a yoga. You know, how can we say that a nurse is not a yogi? She's a karma yogi. She's doing selfless service. She's an action. Tap into the wisdom of yoga through the depth of time as Sarah shows us the path that is found with our mind on this exciting episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast with Sarah Ivanhoe. Namaste, yogis. It brings me great joy to be sitting across from one of my first teachers and an absolutely awesome yoga teacher of philosophy and asana, the one and only Sarah Ivanhoe. How are you doing today, Sarah? <laughs> hey, Andrew. Thank you. Awesome. And it's just like, it's been a little long time coming since we've got this interview in store, but I'm super excited that it's happening now because we've had so many interactions in between, um, whether it's been the beautiful um, mind travel experience over at Santa Monica Pier with Murray, mm -hmm. those amazing evenings of mm. absolutely gorgeous piano composition and starscaped evenings. Mm. 
and beautiful meditations that you've led mm. um, or the few classes that I've been to here and there in between. And so mm. I'm really excited to have you here today. Yeah, me too. It's been sort of what we call a Leela. Do you know this this yeah. term? Yeah. Lila, it's the yeah, it's been a real Leela to get here to this moment, but we have to I trust that this is exactly when it was meant to happen. That's the so, truth. That's yeah. the truth indeed. Um, so with the Yoga Revealed podcast, we really like to start um, with revealing to our listeners when yoga was first revealed to you. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, every, everyone's got their own unique story. Um, but I was actually born with a pretty severe sleep disorder, mm. uh, which is rare. Most people who have trouble sleeping, it, it happens teenage years through stress or trauma or something. Um, so it's rare to have it as a, as a child, as a toddler. Um, and my parents, I grew up in a progressive community in Northern California, I grew up in Mill Valley, California. Mm-hmm. And, um, I started doing like a guided relaxation to try to get me to sleep at the age of nine years old. Um, so wow. most people don't start their entry into yoga with yoga nidra. <laughs> it's usually kind of, um, something people come to later, but because I, you know, so many of us come to these practices because we're suffering from something and mm-hmm. we're looking for help, we're looking for support, we're looking for solution. Um, and for me, I had that struggle right away, like I, right away as a kid. So I, I got into yoga nidra and started having pretty, it was interesting because they were, had me do this yoga nidra practice to try to get me to sleep, but I didn't sleep. I had the profound experience of yoga nidra that you're really meant to have. Yeah, exactly. So I started having these crazy experiences at such a young age. And then, yeah, so. So at the age of nine, you were literally sitting down and meditating before you went to sleep every single day. Right, right. And then basically I would replay them because I wasn't sleeping. I would just replay them over and over again because I'd be sitting there all night long. I'd go all night with no sleep, sometimes two, three nights in a row, no sleep. So I would just listen to them over and over again. <laughs> so, so from this, these days of no sleep and, mm. you know, having to practice this, this meditation, when was the asana practice first introduced to you? Right. Well, and again, um, I had no orientation to any of this. So that was kind of sort of thrust upon me by accident because I was looking for help. And then oddly enough, as I mentioned, I grew up in this little town, Mill Valley, California, very progressive. It's like Marin County is where all the Grateful Dead band live and, you know, all this sort of thing. Very so, familiar with those Right, guys. right, exactly. So um, <clears throat> yoga was actually taught in my high school. And we were doing that as part of in drama classes and as part of PE class. And wow, um, that's a progressive high school. I was, yeah, I was on the swim team, and so we did. Uh, I started doing asana at fourteen years old. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So and at this time, was it something that was more than just a physical practice for you, or was it just like you know we're going to PE? I'm going to do some yoga. You know what's fascinating is I actually hated it because I was a rebel in school, and anything mm-hmm. I was told to do, I didn't want to do. Um, I you know I thought I was too cool, uh, but meanwhile I had to. So it was a seed that had been planted and a tapas that was going on, whether I wanted to or not. And so it, it built and built and built, even with my resistance to it, the practice still built. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until after I graduated NYU and started to have real sort of life crisis, did I then go, oh my God, 
I'm breaking down. What do I do? You know, I was in a relationship with a substance abuser and all this type of thing. So I was like, I'm breaking down. What do I do? Uh, I need tools to help. And all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute. I've been doing this thing called yoga already for almost 10 years now. I've been doing this meditation practice since I was a kid now. How about I do the stuff I've already learned that I've already been good at? Mm -hmm. And then I really found it from my own yearning and desire. So it truly was revealed to me, um, it, you know, just to be on theme for your, you know, for your viewers, for your message. It really was like of no plan of mine. I didn't think it was cool. I didn't want it. Mm -hmm. um, but I got into trouble and turns out I had been doing it all along. Wow. So tell us a little bit more about this. You, know, you said like a little crisis that you had and this is after you graduated from NYU? Yeah. yeah wow. So yeah. I, it's really interesting because I feel that, especially just listening to our listeners' messages and the emails that I get from our listeners, which are awesome. Thank you guys for just being mm. so vulnerable and letting me know what's going on. But a lot of people are going through that graduating from college mm -hmm. and getting out into the real world and realizing that their degree is not exactly what they wanted to do and it's not their passion. Right, right. right. And you know what's so funny, and, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get more into this later, um, 20 years later, I'm 45 years old now, and so 20 years later, I went back to graduate school. And it's funny because when I finished NYU undergraduate school, was, you know, I finished in 93, something like this, mm -hmm. um, I always knew that I'd get a higher education go for a graduate degree, but there was nothing I wanted to study. And then 20 years later, I waited and waited and waited, and sure enough, they came up with the first academic program in yoga philosophy at LMU. Mm -hmm. So right away I took the uh, I took the opportunity to jump in and basically stop my business of a yoga teacher and just dedicate myself to Gyana yoga to study. But the reason why I say all this and we can circle back to it later, the reason why I share it is I had a post-college experience just recently at 40, you know, 45. So a year ago I graduated and I found that for almost a year after graduating I couldn't do anything. Like, I was just had that real, like, flop on the couch. I'm like, now I remember why these college students are just completely burnt. Yeah. You know? It's really, so much really of your challenging. Brain power is kind of like sucked into the books and sucked yeah. into the tests. Yeah. And, and well, you know, this is really, I'm really passionate about this because it, it, it feels to us from where we're sitting that our yoga practice is separate. From going to college and it's really important for us to what we don't often study in yoga is what we call the margas or paths of yoga mm -hmm. and the act of study is a practice of jnana yoga it's a practice of knowledge so if the practice of yoga is about focusing your mind until you have an experience of oneness for me i actually do that best through study Mm. More than doing physical practice, more than breathing, more than meditating. It's just my makeup. And that's considered jhana yoga, right? Yeah, exactly. Jhana yoga. And, you know, when I when I teach my uh, yoga scholar training programs, and I'm going to be teaching the Upanishads at, at LMU this fall, one of the main things that I think is important for us to pull back is when, when we get excited about yoga, we start to... Almost everyone I know who, who gets excited about yoga mm -hmm. has an experience of diving in 
And then there's a moment where they start to feel separated and cut off from their friends and family who aren't doing yoga. Yeah. They start to feel, I'm doing yoga and they're not. And then they start this kind of like pilgrimage to try to proselytizing, try to get everybody else to do yoga. Mm -hmm. Some people get into it and some people don't. And people who aren't interested, then it creates a divide, right? And that is a separation. And yoga is union. Yoga should not cause you separation from your loved ones. It should cause you to connect with your loved ones. Yeah. So I like to remind and really share with yogis that that as you're in your practice of discovery, you know, like first three years, five years, ten years of your yoga practice, it really feels like doing asana is the only way, you know? Um, totally. But it's important to remember that yoga existed for hundreds, possibly a thousand years before anyone did one yoga pose. Mm -hmm. Like, we need to keep that in mind. Yoga was ritual first, ritual and chanting. Then it was meditation and breathing. And only hundreds, maybe a thousand years later, did the physical part come in. So if the point is for us to feel connected, there are so many ways to feel connected. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's up to us as yogis to find the yoga in each person. So for instance, if you're a study, like how can you say that somebody that created Facebook, how can you say that they aren't totally channeling the union of the planet? What has brought union of the planet more than that? This guy's probably not doing asana, you know what I mean? But he's creating a yoking, a yoga. You know, how can we say that a nurse is not a yogi? She's a karma yogi. Mm -hmm. She's doing selfless service. She's yeah, in action. Giving of herself to help others feel health. Yeah. How can we say that, like, our favorite musician, how can we say that even though that person's probably, you know, never doing asana or sitting mm -hmm. down to meditate, they're like a rock star. We know that when they are channeling and doing their thing, that's bhakti yoga. That is a yoga of, you know, singing your devotion. Mm -hmm. So it's important that that we reframe what we think yoga is and that we are inspired by and, and seek to connect to others. I like what you said as far as reframing what we think is yoga because it, it's oftentimes that, especially with beginner yogis, you know, people who are on the path, maybe it's their first, you know, year of practicing asana, that they don't realize the depth of the eight limbs of yoga Therefore, the only yoga that they know of is the asana practice or, you know, maybe it's wearing some mala beads and saying some chants or going to kirtan every evening. So it's really interesting to think about the depth of yoga and reframing our idea of what yoga is. And it's almost like the more that we're exposed to, the more that we see that yoga is everything. Mm -hmm. And... I do feel like it's our responsibility to to see each person as their to see each person as their yogi, mm -hmm. right? Like to 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 see them the yoga in them. Now, it's important that we honor their path and the way they're doing it. So you don't go, oh, well, actually, you're a karma yogi. Like some people, yeah. like actually, they don't. Put you in a box. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Some people don't want that, but but I do think that that's important and. Um, yeah, when we when we first anytime we first discover something that works for ourselves, we want to share it with everyone, you know, and we then we start to feel disconnected. 
um, from people who aren't doing what we're doing. And it's it's important to remember, it's called the margas, M-A-R-G-A-S, margas or paths of mm-hmm. yoga. So it's one of the main things I like to share. Can you expand a little bit more on the margas of yoga? Yeah. Um, so so basically, just to kind of to block that out, it's um, karma yoga is the yoga of selfless service we call seva Mm -hmm. and basically karma you know comes from the sanskrit root kur which means action so karma is it's not i do something to you you do it back to me type of thing it just it simply means um that somebody is doing good deeds as their as their path that's karma yoga jnana yoga is a yoga of study of wisdom of knowledge of focusing your mind through learning sacred scriptures and study and I'm going to include in that for my own for my own passions are scientists mm-hmm. you know are innovators uh, technology mm-hmm. you know um, you know uh, pe- people that are on the cutting edge of yeah really creation exploring the creative they're create you know they're yeah. they're what seem to be magic they're making reality like mm-hmm. we can put somebody on the moon you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's that's we a miracle. Can make cars some people drive themselves, right? Exactly. We can billions of people all over the world right. through instantaneous messages. Yeah, yeah, and I, I have to believe that comes from source through a human being to us as a gift. So we have to that that would be Jnana Yoga, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, Bhakti Yoga is a yoga of devotion, and it's Bhakti Yoga is usually practiced as some sort of mantra recitation or a deity worship or a a guru devotion. Mm -hmm. However, it does not need to be those things. So it can include all of that stuff that you see. But for those people who feel that they're uncomfortable with where yoga and a religion might cross, Mm -hmm. I really honor I really honor that, and I honor each person's individual religion. So it does not need to be those things. Um, it can include all of that, but it doesn't need to include it. So bhakti yoga, for instance, I always tell my mom she's a bhakta um, because she's the most unconditionally loving person that I know, and she does it without talking about it. She just does it. Totally. And, um, and so essentially bhakti, and this is, I think, super key, Bhakti is unconditional love as a practice, meaning we're not very good at it. <laughs> we need to practice it. Totally. You know, we need to practice it. So it has to be a regimen, yes. like yeah. directive, right? Devotional. Mostly, practice. you know, mostly even to ourselves. Like I usually say, like, okay, I'll be fine once I get the da 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 da. Then I'll really start whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, that would be eh, in bhakti yoga. <laughs> bhakti yoga is actually I love myself now, mm-hmm. and um, you know most of our our uh, in our culture favorite um, bhakta is Krishna Das. Yep. It's a good friend of mine, and I remember twenty years ago having you know like a life crisis and kind of crying on his shoulder and being like, "Give me a practice and tell me what mantra to do or this to that that it all stand on one foot and ice cold water, you know whatever." <laughs> and he. Um, I've told this story before, but it was such a bizarre, kind of crazy moment. He grabbed me, looked me in the eyes, like, you idiot. And I was like, oh my God, like, Krishna is calling me an idiot. He's just like, the practice is to love yourself now. Not to, like, go and do a bunch of practices so that you're good at doing practices. The practices is to 
not like, oh, I'll be okay then. The practice is through the process right now. Mm. Love this imperfect self. Like you just failed at something, you just hurt somebody. Can you even love yourself even during that imperfection? Because we all have a lot of them. Definitely. Yeah. That's, that's such a beautiful one. Yeah. Right. So then the last, uh, then the last uh, marga, and and many people divide these margas in different ways. You know, as you know, in the tradition of yoga, there's, you know, people who are real Bhagavad Gita devotees they do it in six pieces this is the way i this is the way i like to share it the last piece is what we call raja yoga uh, which is royal yoga and essentially traditionally even long before patanjali yoga sutras raja yoga is simply samadhi that the that the goal is you don't do any practices you just samadhi now like this (laughs) over time um, they realize that we as humans need stages and helps and tools to get to samadhi. Yeah, I'm sure as our lives became more complex, you know, we start driving cars, right. there's <laughs> cell phones, it's not just sit right. down and have samadhi. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. And even thousands of years ago, it was more complicated. So, so hence, um, eight limbs came around to help us get to samadhi, etc., etc. Um, within this system of Raja Yoga, which is goal of samadhi, Hatha Yoga started to evolve, and it's not totally clear when and how Hatha Yoga, as its own kind of sub-sect path, started to evolve, um, but it is sort of a, a path that comes out of Raja Yoga. Okay. Over time, Hatha Yogis using their... So Hatha Yoga can be defined a couple of ways. One of them is that if you look it up in the dictionary, the word Hatha means force. Like if you look it up in the Sanskrit dictionary, it means force. The force of uh, the kundalini force, almost like a like a like a powerful energy that runs through us. Mm-hmm. Not that we are being forceful, but the mm-hmm. you know that that is uh, that we do these practices to have that strong kundalini kundalini energy rise. The other way to define hatha yoga is um, is to break the word down into ha and ta. This is what they call like the esoteric definition: ha being the sun, ta being the moon, and that we're creating a balance of of sun and moon. Both of these definitions are correct. Um, we could do a whole piece on arguing that, um, but mostly what constitutes hatha yoga is that it is a physical practice involving postures and physical tapas. In other words, it's different from karma yoga. You're not doing selfless service. You're not chanting mantras. It's it's about you and your body. Mm-hmm. It's you and your body as a vehicle to the samadhi that is that goal in Raja Yoga. So that's mm-hmm. kind of why that's... So basically, as they were sitting in meditation, they're like, oh, maybe it'd be helpful for us to move and stretch and do some energetic locks, and ooh, maybe that would help us get there. Mm-hmm. So that kind of evolved out of that marga. Nice. Mm-hmm. So now that we're aware of the margas, I want to kind of rewind and take us back to that that life crisis that you were having <laughs> as you were, you were just getting out of sure, NYU and, sure. and how you got over that. Mm-hmm. Because so many of our listeners have had those types of life crises or are in those types of little crises now where they're at a place of indecision and mm-hmm. they don't know how to move forward. They know that they're passionate about yoga, mm-hmm. but how do they take that yoga and then, you know, bring it into the rest of their world? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'll say something that's going to be a little bit, um, 
not totally PC, but I'm just going to no, jump in, real. jump keep in, and real. say it. I have a real problem with people saying that they're going to just, you know, this is what I love, and I'm going to just actualize it into a, you know, financially sustaining career. Um, I think that's really nice if it happens to some people. It is a really select few, and I think that a lot of people are putting themselves in a very vulnerable, unsafe position based on, oh, if I just say enough affirmations, something will magically appear to me. Sometimes it does, sometimes it does not. It's, as we say, two wings. It's the, yes, we have to have faith, but we also have to have practicality. Mm -hmm. And my belief is that we as individuals, we, we need to pay the rent. We need to eat. We need to do all these things. And that means having a job, usually, unless you're lucky enough to not need to worry about those things. So people who are having a life crisis very often just ditch their job and go, oh, well, yoga will sustain me. And then later they get mad at yoga for not yeah. for not delivering. And I don't think that yoga made that promise. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it very clearly used to be we're really the first generation in history to ever even say those words. Yeah, we're you know, see yoga as an actual practical means of income. Right, right. And to, in a way, have the audacity to think that we should get paid to do what we love, right? Mm -hmm. All, like our parents' generation and for the whole history of the universe, vocation, avocation. You take care of yourself, you take care of your family, and then you got your hobby. Yeah, You know, totally. We grew up in a time of incredible disposable wealth, um, and lucky us. So we have this assumption that we should be able to just simply do our bliss and have it pay for us. And again, I, I know a lot of people are going to get upset by my saying that. Um, I was lucky enough to have that happen for me. Um, but I can say, which is why I can say it doesn't just magically happen for everyone. And if it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you prayed wrong. It doesn't mean that you did bad yoga or that you didn't meditate properly. It doesn't mean that somehow there's something wrong with you or that you didn't, you know, affirm something into reality. It just means that it's a tough world out there. Yeah, and that your karmic predicament may be to do something else. Mm -hmm. Or take care of yourself, get yourself stable so that you can calm down, you can eat, you can pay. I mean, you know, uh, Neem Karoli Baba, Krishnadas and Ram Das's, um guru always said, like, people would come to the ashram and they'd be like, you know, give us these teachings. And Maharaji would always be like, feed them. Like, you can't feed them first. Yeah. Feed them first. And I'm like, what? It's like, they won't hear anything on an empty stomach. Yeah. People need to feel calm and protected and safe inside before they have the luxury to actually be able to dig yeah. into the studies. Yeah. yeah. So for people, a lot of people having a life crisis have been in a stressful, unfulfilling job, stressful, unfulfilling relationship, family obligations, etc. Um, they want to ditch that and because they know there's something else to life. And what I, I encourage people when they come to me and say, hey, I want to drop my job as a lawyer to become a yoga teacher. I said, before you just make that leap, crunch some numbers. See what you might make from teaching yoga. See if you think you can sustain your lifestyle on that. And maybe start to taper, like work yeah. up, put some money away, this and that, so that you, you know, use your jnana, use your mind to really create a, a planned, sustainable transition. So you don't just throw yourself to the wolves and then, and then have a crisis, totally. you know, got to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. So how did you get out of your crisis and, and what became of 
you actually starting to teach yoga? Was there like a time and a point where you knew that this was going to be your path? Yeah, I still don't know that it's my path. <laughs> Teaching 21 years this month. Wow. Um, Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely, you know, I think I'm definitely unique in that way. I never woke up one day and was like, I want to be a yoga teacher, ever. I've still never said that. Um, I landed in Los Angeles mostly because I was running away from a bad relationship with a substance abuser. We both couldn't stand Los Angeles, so I knew he wouldn't follow me here. So here I came. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, I was not under his roof, and I wasn't under my parents' roof. And for the first time, I knew I needed to sustain myself. Uh, at the time, yoga was, you know, just not that popular. But I was like, well, what are my skills? I don't, you know what I mean? I've got this college degree, but what can I get a job doing? I try, you know, like delivering food. I was like, no, nah, I need to like do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd already been practicing yoga for 10 years at that point. Um, and then I met my teacher, Eric Schiffman. Wow. And he's the one that basically changed everything for me. That, that you said, how did you integrate that meditation and yoga and realize Eric was that aha moment for me? He's the catalyst of you allowing the meditation and the yoga practice to come together to serve you. Yeah, and I, I, I want to share a little bit about him if there's room for that. But basically, I sort of was just like, hey, maybe I can do this. I did a bunch of teacher trainings. Of course, I did five of them because I'm just like that. Yes, I have to learn more. I have to learn more. Um, but I started just teaching at a little gym in Hollywood, and then I started teaching at the Crunch Gym, and... I mostly just started, it's funny because I actually remember going to the Crunch Gym in Hollywood and it's got to be in like 96 or something and it was, they were building the gym and I found the gym manager and I was just like, hey, um, so I know you have exercise classes here and I want you to let me teach a yoga class. And they were like, a yoga class? Isn't that stretching? I'm like, no, yoga can be more than stretching. And they go, why would we want to have yoga at a gym? <laughs> And I'm like, you gotta trust me. Yoga's gonna be really huge. Like it's gonna catch on. There's da, 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 like, and I like had to like talk him into it, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, give me one class if I can't do it, you know. Just give me a month. Like let me whatever, and give me a shot. And like you know, it obviously. I was kind of at the right place at the right time. Or you were a little bit ahead of your time in the sense that you knew that it was gonna be. A success. I knew. Yeah, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming for sure. And then as far as doing, uh, you know, I did a lot of yoga videos that all just kind of found me. So the first one was for the Crunch Gym. Apparently they had done like a nationwide search for somebody who is accessible and uh, sort of a young person for to do yoga. It was actually VHS tape (laughs) at the time. The only yoga that was on video at that time was a Rodney Living Arts series, which was this kind of voiced over... Thing. So this woman comes up to me after a class and she goes, we've been searching for six months. We've been going around the country trying to, because of course this is before the internet, right? <laughs> so there was no way to find anybody through YouTube or so there was no social media. So they actually went class to class searching for people. And apparently they were, they, they took my class without my knowing. They said, we want you to do this. Do you think you could teach yoga and talk to the camera? At the same time, like, could we put it yoga? It was probably unheard of at the time. It was totally unheard of. And basically, I was the first person to do it. They're like, could you just talk like you, but not talk like a yoga person? And I'm like, I think I can. Let's try it out. So I did the Crunch Yoga series, and then I did all of the Yoga for Dummies series after that. And then uh, 
the Weight Watchers and just did a bunch of, ended up doing a bunch of kind of, you know, representing those bigger brands uh, for yoga in kind of a user-friendly way. And again, all of that just came to me. They, they asked and so I said yes. Awesome. That's yeah. beautiful. And so transitioning to now, you live here in Santa Monica and you've been teaching for over 21 years. What keeps you driven to really share yoga as your passion? Because I know that you're now starting over at LMU. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So it's so funny. I, I feel everyone teases me that I'm sort of like the yoga of polarities. On one end, I'm yoga for dummies. I'm Weight Watchers spokesperson for yoga. Like the absolute most commercial possible. Um, and for whatever reason, maybe it's just to create that balance. Uh, in 1999, I started taking extension classes at Loyola Marymount University and doing their yoga philosophy certification program. And early on, I was like, I knew that that was for me, really learning all of the ancient history and philosophy of yoga. And then, as I mentioned earlier, they finally built that out into a full graduate program. So it's a two and a half year program. Like you've, it's basically the difference between that program and what you do in a teacher training is enormous but the main one is in a teacher training like you've got this great translation of the Upanishads on your shelf over here and that's actually the one I'm going to be using to teach my class yeah. very user friendly <laughs> um, but you're reading English words yep. and in graduate school we learn Sanskrit and we do our own translation Wow, so, so you're, you're doing your own translation of the actual language itself. That's what distinguishes graduate work. So like my brother has a PhD in comparative religion. He went to Harvard for a master's in theological studies. He studied Buddhism. You don't read Buddhism in English. If you're doing graduate work, you read Buddhism in Pali. Like that's, uh, that's what separates the men from the boys, as they say. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, I was terrible at Sanskrit. I can't like you know, proclaim to be, I mean, I was probably the worst in my class at Sanskrit, but I do feel like I'm, what I am good at is, is translating these bigger ideas into a user-friendly manner. Yeah. So even though I was maybe the worst in Sanskrit in my class at that graduating program, I'm the one that they've asked to teach the Upanishads class this fall to the extension program. Congratulations to that. I will definitely be coming to some of your classes. Yeah, for and that's sure. open to the public. Anyone anyone can come. Uh, so anyone yeah. can come? Anyone can come, yeah. So can you tell us, like, what yeah. days those are? How yeah. do they sign yeah. up? Yeah. I feel like so many of our listeners will totally be interested. In yeah. So basically, Loyola Marymount University, it's just right here near the airport, near LAX. Mm -hmm. And, and we're, it's, we're here in Los Angeles, just so everyone knows. Yeah, it's yeah, right. And um, it's going to be five Tuesday nights starting this a week from tonight, October 4th, 7 to 9 p.m. So it's a 10-hour course with reading assignments. Like, well, I'll be like, okay, so this week we'll read the Chandogya Upanishad, and then we'll come back, and then we'll all discuss it in class, and you'll get a lecture about how, like, what you actually read, you know, makes sense of it, because some of it's tough, and then how it applies to your life, and then how you, as either a yoga student, practitioner, or you as a yoga teacher can take that concept and really make it practical and applicable. Mm, nice. Um, so how you actually apply that yoga knowledge in the real world. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm really passionate about. So it's, um, 
those courses are, you know, you basically, you guys can just find me and I can send you the link of how to, to sign up for those, but we're doing it this fall and then I'll be continuing to do stuff through LMU Extension. Yeah, for your interview, I'll make sure to actually post it on the yogareveal.com website so that people have that direct link and can check out your classes. Yeah, you know, here's, here's I just got like a message of something that I wanted, needed to share about it. I had been teaching yoga for maybe four or so, four or so years um, when I was like, okay, I got it. You know, now what? And I started to then really do a, a comprehensive search of, you know, just sort of like a spiritual search, just checking different things out, as m- many of us do. And I started to very quickly have an experience of that I felt like I was getting a watered-down teaching. Not because it was anybody's fault, but it felt like it wasn't the actual teaching, but I didn't know what I didn't know. Thank God, I happened, as I mentioned, I had my brother, you know, happened to, you know, be a scholar of, of comparative religion. So I said to him, I'm like, Matt, I feel like there's got to be, like, what can I do? And he goes, oh, well, you can actually, he said, most of the teachers that you are studying from, he sort of said in a loving way, are basically white people interpreting ancient Eastern concepts. He goes, but if you want to not study from them, if you want to go to directly the ancient Eastern concepts, you can go here, study with Chris Chapel at LMU. And I went, oh, right. I don't want to interpret their interpretation. Mm-hmm. I, I want to crack at it. Like, I want to crack at reading this stuff myself and seeing if I can make sense of it. Wow. So I encourage everyone to do that. Definitely, know. because then you have your own perspective. Yeah. What better view than to see it through your own lens? Yeah. So much of what we're, we're introduced to in this kind of conscious community, all of those concepts obviously come from these ancient teachings. Mm-hmm. And everybody's teaching it in their own user-friendly manner. Um, but it's nice to, to pick up the stuff and sink your teeth into it. Beautiful. So tell us about some of the teachers, like say Eric Schiffman, who mm-hmm. have helped you become more realized in your own practice of yoga Mm -hmm. and tell me a little bit more about your relationship with someone who you truly invested your time in learning from Mm -hmm. so i have uh three gurus for for my different margas (laughs) um i'll start with the uh my karma yoga, uh, karma yoga, bhakti yoga guru is Amma, who is the hugging saint. Uh, her long name is Mata Amrita Ananda Mai, and she's essentially a, a realized living saint, a woman who lives in South India, and she goes around the world just hugging people and spreading unconditional love, but also in building women's shelters and hospitals and universities. And I had a couple of I'm going to sort of use the frame out of this world experiences with her where I I don't like when people go on and on about their their gurus but I basically saw that she was beyond a regular human and that had me say I'm with it. I'm with her you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I I get it and I'm going to put my trust in her um my my gyana yoga guru for for all of my studies uh, is, as I mentioned, Chris Chappell. Uh, Dr. Chappell has, I think he started his yoga practice in 1971. Wow. And um, he's one of these guys who's like, just just crazy smart. And we'll be talking about something and he'll be like, oh, well, let me write that in Tibetan on the board and da 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 And like, he'll just, he just knows all these languages and is, you know, I mean, he has all of the, the entire Bhagavad Gita memorized, the entire Yoga Sutras memorized, like everything just, just 
unbelievable mind with the passion of this. So I, I really bow to his feet on all of that. His, and it's also rare to get an academician who's also a practitioner. Usually you get somebody who's a doctor of religion, and it's really just an anthropological study for them. But for him, he actually also does yoga, so it's really, it's really special. Um, but for, for most of the listeners, um, I want to instead share more about my teacher, Eric Schiffman, uh, who is my Hatha Yoga, my Hatha Yoga guru. And uh, the reason why, to me, Eric Schiffman was different was not in essentially what he was teaching because essentially we're all teaching the same poses just in different durations we teach them in a different sequence or a different repetition or a different speed mm-hmm. what eric did differently in my opinion is the how he taught almost everybody that i have witnessed and myself included because i just feel like i'm not skilled enough we teach in command form i say and you do Bend your knee to a 90-degree angle. Lift the belly in and up. Floating ribs in. Draw the shoulders together. You know, like this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then, so it's I say, and you as a student does. So you and the student are always in the mode of taking directive. Mm -hmm. You are not in the mode of searching or of finding something new. So Eric will do something different. He asks just the right question to get you to find the answer on your own. So he'll say something like, you're in warrior two. And instead of giving you all the answers, like he'll say, where in your body can you relax without collapsing the pose? So you, as the practitioner, are then going through each piece of you and finding your own alignment. Does this go up or down? Does this go in or out? Does it, you know, can I relax my chest? Actually, no. I need to, I need to stay, you know, buoyant in my chest there. That's not a place I can relax. But can I relax my jaw? Yeah, actually I can. So I am in the now moment, not repeating directions, but in the now moment finding the actual alignment of me. And I'm finding it. I'm not having a teacher tell me where to go. I'm finding it. Yeah. And I feel like Eric, the reason why I bow to him as, as the ultimate Hatha Yoga teacher of all time, in my opinion, is because he's the only one that is able to teach you how to fish rather than just handing you a fish. And by the way, I include myself in, in everybody else. Like I think Eric is, you know, Eric's a unicorn in that capacity. I've tried to te- do it like him and I'm not good enough, you know? <laughs> Well, some people have that calling, you know, of mm-hmm. being here specifically to share a message that helps to empower others. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm sure someone will figure it out and he'll teach them. Don't get me wrong. There are incredible teachers out there. Oh, yeah. It's, you know what I mean? It's they not that. To his own. Some yes. people might find the instruction to be, I need to have someone to tell me where to Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Some people really love that form mm-hmm. discipline. So, yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Um I love to leave our Yoga Revealed listeners with three golden nuggets, three things that they can actually utilize to help them on their path as they continue to expand in their yoga journey. I have no idea why this is what just came to me. I think uh, Andrew and I were just having a talk about uh, Andrew being a vegan before, before we started this interview and I was talking to him about that. I spent years as a vegan and I... I 
my body just broke down. And at one point, I just, I got such a hunger and an absolute, took me over to start eating fish and then chicken. Um, and I guess the golden nugget I want to share that I think is so important is that I believe that our relationship to food and eating should come from within and should come from God, not from a video that you see about mistreated animals and not from a commercial for alcohol, like neither side, neither external input should be how we make that decision. You need to decide for yourself what your body needs for nourishment in any given moment and to not judge your own uh, your own authentic message of what's coming through for you. Wow. I, I'd say that's even more imperative, not even just for your food choices, but for your life choices. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Right. Because, you know, some people, they're like, oh, like, um, I'm going to be... Uh, a Buddhist or a Christian or Islamic because my parents told me this is the way and that's the only way I know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, whereas intuitively, if we allow um, our minds, our bodies, and our spirits to be guided by the messages that are intuitively brought into us, mm-hmm. then I feel that we'll live a life of less suffering and more flow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd say the other little nugget that just came through to, to share is that um, it's so it, it's so exciting that we're sort of in this most recent wave of spiritual seekers that we're we're on another you know we're past the post greed generation and we're people are starting to ask these questions again people are interested in meditation and yoga etc. One of the things I think is important to be aware of is what we call spiritual snobbery. Um, that we start to, or spiritual materialism, we start to add up our spiritual accolades. Well, I've done this many years, and you've only done that many years, and I've done this many trainings, and you've only done that many trainings. And we start to, just like we do materialism with money, we can do with with spiritual accolades. That's sort of spiritual materialism. And then spiritual snobbery is like, well, my version is better than your version and stuff like this. My teacher is more acclaimed than your teacher. Right, right. And I totally fall into that all the time. I I catch myself doing stuff like that all the time. And I usually, when I do, I'm coming from a place of fear or insecurity or something like this. And I, I think it's important that as we're interested in this stuff that we don't use that in the name of separation. And what would you say is a tool to, um, once you feel that, that fear and that insecurity coming up, to allow yourself to dissipate through that and uh, come more clear and from your heart? I usually don't know that that's coming. I only know it once it's coming out of my mouth and I'm saying something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what am I saying? I can't believe I said that. And then I pause and I'm like, oh, I must have been threatened by this person or, you know hadn't slept well that night or something like that so you know I I don't usually know it at at inception I usually catch myself doing something I wouldn't be proud of Mm -hmm. and our third and final golden nugget I think I'm gonna have to I think I'm gonna have to leave that one as a question mark and and we'll post something later yeah wow yeah I'm gonna leave it open Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. So, well, we'll definitely have another little nugget for you at some time and point. 
Um, maybe it'll be when you come to our class on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Yoga Revealed podcast listeners are greater for your wisdom, and we truly appreciate your time here today. It's Thank been a real so honor. Much. Thank you so much, Andrew. Seriously, namaste. Namaste. I didn't know that the name of your podcast was the Yoga Revealed. Um, and I almost never use that word, but I taught a class last night that was exactly the time of the debate. And I, I'm very passionate about politics and I watch this stuff religiously. And I was like, oh, should I get that class subbed out? And I was like, no, what I need to do for the world right now is I need to teach this class and just lead this class in group prayer. But I also feel like much as I'm, I want to, it's important for me not to put my beliefs onto others. Mm-hmm. So I almost never say this. It's not one of my common themes. I know a lot of people, it is for, for them. A lot of yoga teachers say this quite a bit, but I almost never say it. But basically, as we started class, I was like, there's something going on across the world right now. Like everybody's watching this. The whole planet's watching it, not just our country. Mm-hmm. And this is a high energy moment. And let's just say that we dedicate our practice to may the highest truth be revealed. And uh, and then here we are, the yoga revealed. <laughs> it's the beauty of synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually, I'm not a huge political mm-hmm. uh, mind. Mm-hmm. My, my mind doesn't really... Mm think in those terms. I'm sure. more in the sense of like influential people, people who have changed the world. Mm-hmm. But so much of our politics right now is riding on the future of our planet. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I had to watch it. And I watched the whole entire debate. Good for you. And it was so humbling. Yeah. Um, because it's really I love that you use that think, word. Thank you. To think of think of the the separation of our country right now right and to think that there are people who cheer for the it's crazy the ignorance yeah. and the delusion that some people stand up for and it's um, crazy right now i feel more so than ever it is time for yogis who are conscious and people who are truly in the heart of their passion and what I would call in the truth of upliftment and empowerment to mm-hmm. come up and to vote. And it's to car- vote it's karma they- yoga. It's action. Yes. Now more than ever, we need it. As my mom would say, there's there are few there are few ways to really communicate, you know, and this is one of them. Totally. And by the way, we are so lucky to live in a country where we get to vote. Yeah. So don't, it's, don't it's, ever it's take like, that It's granted. like throwing away food. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't, like, we're so lucky to eat. Don't throw away your food. Like, don't throw away your vote. Oh, well, thank you for that. Yeah. Revealed. Great. <laughs> okay, awesome. Thank you, Andrew, so much. This is a real treat. Oh, I feel rejuvenated. Thank you for tuning into the Yoga Revealed podcast. You can learn more about Sarah and her upcoming classes and trainings worldwide at her site, yoganation.com. You can also find the link to register for her free Tuesday night philosophy classes at LMU at yogarevealed.com slash Sarah Ivanhoe. Until next time, yogis, live light, shine bright.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.